Hello, Bitcoiners. My name is Ansel Lindner, and this is Bitcoin and Markets. On this show, we honestly explore Bitcoin to the best of our ability. We take a look at stats, metrics, the tech, and the economics behind it all. My goal is to stay ahead of the curve and to take you along with me. Thanks for joining me. Let's go. What is up, guys? Thanks for joining me. We are back with another Bitcoin banter episode. These are discussions that we record from our Discord server, and anybody can join. You can look for the link in the description. Wherever you're listening to this, if it doesn't have a description, then just go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E164. That's the show notes for this episode. Topics for today are Satoshi's Treasure. Brady of Citizen Bitcoin Podcast, he's been doing a a lot of work around Satoshi's Treasure, so he fills us in with some of the stuff going on there. And I I thought it was fascinating because it's like a microcosm of the entire space. And we draw a few parallels there. We talk about Wasabi Wallet, their integration with hardware wallets. (laughs) Then we get into a altcoin discussion. So if you are familiar with this show, you know that I have strong opinions about the altcoins and they're not completely shared by the Discord server so that these guys, uh, we have a back and forth a little bit about altcoins. Then price. We talk price, near term, you know, what we see in the next week or two and a macro price, a macro fundamentals discussion about the next year, year and a half in Bitcoin till the happening. So, um, really great show of course these are my favorite episodes to record and so it's just a great little community that we're building over there on discord if you want to support this kind of content support this show go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support all sorts of ways to support the show free ways donate different ways to donate you can even become a member on patreon so thank you for all the people that do support the show thank you to all the guys that joined this week Phil from the Fun with Crypto podcast, Mr. Pays, Jeff, Randy, Brady from Citizen Bitcoin, and Dan. So thank you guys for joining. Special thanks to Jeff for editing the episode. These files get really big because the way you record on Discord, each person has their own track and it can get very large file size. So Jeff, thank you for helping out. All right, let's join the discussion. Okay, should we... Uh, get into any topics. I know Brady, I think you posted that you had some that you want to talk about and um, then we can go to the Twitter because we actually had three guys respond to me this time. So uh, we can go through those questions too. Oh, my bad. I was on mute. Oh, go for it. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, I had, yeah, so I posted two things. Sorry about that, guys. Um First was Satoshi's Treasure, which launched last week. It's a game, a hunt for $100 million worth of Bitcoin. Um, I just kind of dove into that because it it, it uh, piqued my interest on a lot of different levels. And and then uh, the uh, Wasabi Wallet launched Trezor support uh, for the Trezor hardware wallet, which is a big deal. And I assume, although it's not in the GitHub yet, I assume uh, Ledger will be following at some point. Um, and so, yeah, I thought we could talk about that too. Cool. So, uh, did everybody hear about the Satoshi's treasure hunt? Yeah, it sounds cool. Who, who's the, uh, supporting who, who's actually, who launched it? 
was it like blockchain or something or blockchain.com or something who was uh, the... there's this guy named eric Meltzer, and he used to work for in blockchain which is oh, a chinese you. vc firm blockchain bitcoin vc firm um your last podcast not... was an interview wasn't it yeah the last the most recent citizen bitcoin podcast was an interview with eric Meltzer about the game and he's um now got his own fund called primitive ventures and he partners with dovey wan who's i think it's just at dovey wan on twitter there might be an underscore in there but she's um really active in the chinese scene on the chinese bitcoin scene and uh does a lot of great reporting on twitter uh, about chinese mining and other you know other things going on bitcoin in china um, so the kind of the two of them are sort of heading it up, but it sounds like there's like, you know, at least six to eight other people um, that are kind of starting to be more uh, known. Um, their identities are starting to be more known that are kind of directly involved. And then, um, you know, some other people who are not so like heavily involved, but helped out with the, with a lot of the cryptography and things about the game. So I they wonder, use this. Oh yeah, go ahead. What's up, Jeff? Well, I wonder how long, I mean, do you think it's going to be like a year, six months? Yeah, but it's, yeah. it sounds like it's going to be a yearish, maybe two years. Um, it's just going to depend on how difficult things are. But there are a thousand different keys out there, potential different keys. They use this uh, this crypto algorithm called Shamir's Secret Sharing Scheme, and um, it's about this Israel uh, written by this Israeli cryptographer who has the last I think is Adi or Adri Shamir, and um, you can just basically shard like a, any any piece of any string. Uh, into X number of pieces. Um, and then you can require X number of those pieces to reconstitute the original string, right? And so in this case, it's a Bitcoin private key been sharded into a thousand pieces and 400 are required to uh, reconstitute the private key. And once you have the private key, then you can spend that Bitcoin to wherever. And um, so it just opens up all these game theory ideas. Uh, it's an experiment in like, uh, organization um, and incentives, uh, and so I, I'm building a team right now uh, called the DPR Avengers for Dread Pirate Roberts, Russell Bricks pseudonym, the, D, the DPR Avengers, and uh, we've got we've got about I think 18 people now. Uh, we're taking applications on the web, so we're sort of going for geographic diversity um, and like just you know experience in these kind of puzzle games and cryptography, opsec. Um, and yeah, um, so it's been a lot of fun. We've been having great conversations about how to organize the team and and make it as trustless as possible. Um, you know, all the incentives, uh, working with other teams simultaneously, like what are the sort of, what's the game theory there and the alignment of incentives. So uh, it's just really cool. It's like a, it's a nice rabbit hole um, to go down to, you know, pursue those kinds of, those kinds of like organization and or like ideas of like how maybe a Bitcoin future could be a Bitcoin economy could be the, or, the types of organizations that would spring up in a Bitcoin economy. That's really interesting. I was going to ask you how game theory worked in there. And, um, but then when you said that, like they could be working for different teams and they could be feeding you bad info. Um, yeah. And yeah. How There's do gonna you be lots of double agents? Yeah. How, how is this game? How is your team Byzantine fault tolerant? You know? No. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so all these conversations go on, which is just a ton of fun. Um, so it's just, it's a really cool game. It's like a Ready Player One sort of feel to it, um, but it's real and it's Bitcoin. And 
so we've got all these cool tools to to kind of play this game, you know, uh, with Discord and wikis to kind of categorize and you know, bring in all your research. Um, John Cantrell uh, is building a bunch of really. He he found the first two keys and brute forced this. Uh, sorry, the second and third key brute, for, brute forced them, and it was kind of like they had these really simple AE two fifty six, um, AES two fifty six like passwords basically uh so they were easily brute forceable with the dictionary brute force attack and uh john figured that out in about 20 or 30 minutes after the first key was posted um which was kind of amazing and he's building some really cool tools as well so it's just there's there's all this kind of it's a it's a it's just a really great game to really um kind of dive deep on and i think it will also like just in the shallow sense just generate a lot of attention for bitcoin uh in general I think over the next year or two, and they're going to keep doing them too after this one's done. Yeah, I agree. I think it's great publicity, and um, it's going to be really freaking interesting at the end when two teams have three hundred and eighty of the keys or something. I expect to see a secondary market form and all types of crazy scenarios play out. Think yeah, of it exactly. this way. It, if it's a million dollars in Bitcoin now, in a couple years, it could potentially be $10, 20000000 million worth of Bitcoin. So there's, so if this game takes a couple years, we're talking about uh, yeah. a huge, uh, not that a million dollars isn't a, a nice sum, but, you know, if it's, uh, it could potentially be $10, 20000000 $30 million by the end of the game. It could. Absolutely. Now, have they posted proof of not some yet, kind of yeah, address yeah. somewhere? You not know, yet. Cause... So apparently, uh, Eric Meltzer hangs out in some Telegram groups, and and he's pretty open with information. Sometimes he posts to Twitter as well. Um, and he was saying today that there are clues out there that would lead to the funding address on the wallet, like the wallet on that's on the blockchain right now. And that it's you know roughly one million dollars in uh, in Bitcoin, um, and that if someone doesn't find it soon, I guess he didn't, he didn't really specify a you know a number of days or whatever. But if someone doesn't find it soon, he's just going to release it, and so that people don't keep playing without proof that the money's out there, the Bitcoin's out there. So, do you guys think that it's going to be a, a bigger team that that find you know that solves it or wins i don't know there's a really big team called uh elementary voice or ev people just kind of call it uh, have simplified it down to the ev discord and this guy he's he does like um elementary voice because he does like voice services like reads stuff or does voice acting and things like that so anyway he's also really into bitcoin and um and just you know interested in i just you know, piqued his interest in all, in all levels too when he first saw it. And he just went on Reddit, made a subreddit and added a Discord link. And there's like four or 500 people in there maybe. Uh, I'm in there. I've been in there from the beginning. They're sort of going more private now and using that public Discord as sort of a recruiting ground. They're really big, uh, but they've definitely like had problems with like leak, you know, all of like their data leaking and all that kind of stuff. So I've kind of taken a more like uh, you know, like trying to balance being thoughtful and quick and um, approach, and so we're building a smaller, a, sm a smaller team. Um, but 
really focusing on building a solid organization and thinking about the incentives and the structure and how this is all going to play out. Uh, and, uh, and then I think we can add members uh, as, or like, um, as we want to acquire keys as the game, you know, goes on. So we're kind of going with a smallish global team right now and then leaving room to grow and recruit uh, like unique key holders, you know, in the future. So are they like um, publishing different locations? I know, I know that there was like a list of uh, geolocations. Was that all of the possible or are we expecting more locations to be published as the game goes on? How does that work? Yeah, those were just for the first three keys. The, okay, the yeah. satellite message that had like 12 locations. Um, four for each key. Yeah, and that's so that was just the first three keys. Those uh, there's been four keys so far. There was one on Easter called the Leperine key, and Leperine is just means like having to do with rabbits. Um, and that one took about four hours or so, four or five hours to to solve, and then it was became public knowledge too. So, it's just the game's just starting because you know this is four out of like four hundred needed keys, right? Oh, um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of um. I guess organization that will happen over the next months uh, that and and keys will start will stop being so easily publicly available and they're going to get harder too. Gotcha. How about this for a strategy? We could form a team and then like infiltrate different other teams and pull all their information. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man. I mean. And we're thinking about like we want to we want to have a some kind of team wiki that we can you know organize all of our research into, and so we're thinking about like setting up two FA and and all that so that you know that's going to be a target uh, eventually. Well, hear me, hold on, hear me out here, because uh, rather than spending time on figuring out what the clues are, you're just spending time infiltrating a group. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. There, there will be groups and and that do that for sure. See, that's why it's probably smart to maybe try to lock your team down early, and you yep. and you probably wouldn't want to um you probably wouldn't want to make a deal with another team unless they had a similar, you know, you wouldn't want to you know if they were loose with their information, you definitely wouldn't want to do business with them. Right. Yeah. You may you'd mostly want to like poach their best members. You know yeah. that. That have keys, and well, are what if, good, and good at finding them. What if one of the teams forks and they have five hundred of the solutions? Well, if they had had five hundred, they would have already won. Yeah, you only need four hundred of the thousand to win. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what if they had? Yeah, they fork at three fifty. They had like three hundred or something. Three hundred. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I. So there's going to be an app um, that Eric has been talking about. He's releasing primitive ventures and and this toshi's treasure team um they're beta testing it right now apparently and like uh, there's mo uh, people have seen mock-ups anyway and uh the but the some of the features are that there's going to be a way there's going to be a third party market basically it's going to be a third party market for keys so be able to exchange keys and ian myers of the zcash team one of the cryptographers that works there um works on zcash he helped with some zero knowledge proof stuff so that you can take one of these shamirs basically you can prove that you have the key without revealing it to another person so 
you'll have an account on this app and you'll have your keys that you have that you have 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 found um, and have access to some way or another and you can prove to other like team members other clans or whatever um, that you have these certain keys and so they're going to recruit you and you know the the agree like you can't really prevent somebody from double agenting very easily because it's you know easy to be an- relatively anonymous and pseudonymous on the web and in these games and so there's going to be all kinds of people it's a very piratey thing uh which is why it's called i love it it's called satoshi's treasure you know it's a uh, it's like pirate ethics and morals and in, in game theory at play here <laughs> right i just see a ton of innovation and in, like imagine what could come out of this uh just methods and ways people use you know um think of when um you know if they're gonna try to exchange keys or whatever right yeah absolutely yeah i think it i mean it's going to be educational for all the people who play and uh the tools that are built for this game will be useful for lots of things i think absolutely i was just as you're talking i mean you're going through and you know all of these things that it's like a microcosm of Bitcoin because right. Yeah. You can't tell. Uh, I mean, I would just join every single team, right. And try to be on every single team and maybe lead some teams astray, you know, try, you know, influence it that way. I mean, it's the exact same thing with Bitcoin. And maybe that's why people get involved in the altcoins because they think like um, I'm at an advantage if I get into every team, you know, so if you're Eric Voorhees, he was like the Satoshi's treasure guy that was part of every single fucking team. And um, I don't know. I, I just was picturing all of these parallels with Bitcoin while you're talking there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think, I mean, that's why I think one of the, you know, properties that the winning team will probably have is that they've been really open and thoughtful about how to, how to organize the team, right? So the the best players will want to come to a team that's fair and honest and fun to play for and well-organized. Um, they're not going to want to go to a, a teams that, where, where, where there's lots of underhanded stuff going on and all this and that. And then that's sort of the ethic. Um, I think that those people, like, they will, people who are going to be more black hats in this game will do well. Um, but I think, I think the white hats will win this game. I think, I mean, I think this is made for cooperation to, to win out. So. Was that planned or the moral, the moral pirates will win. (laughs) I don't know. I just, maybe, uh, maybe they thought about it. You know, Eric seems to have thought about this a lot, so I wouldn't be surprised. Well, it's similar to like Bitcoin, you know, every corner you turn, you find out, holy shit, these ascendants are aligned over here too. Right. Um, so That'd be funny if none of this was really planned, but it just happens to work out where, yeah, yeah. the same sort of incentives are aligned. Yeah, and I think that a lot of that comes from Bitcoin because, like Eric yes. mentioned on our podcast, this wouldn't be possible with fiat. So just the fact that you can shard a Bitcoin key into a thousand pieces and then you don't have to trust that the Bitcoin is going to be there because they're, they're going to publish the address at some point or someone's going to find it uh, based on some clues that are out there right now. Um, and lots of people are thinking about it and trying to figure out what the address is. And once we have it, then yeah, like the first person who gets those 400 shards, um, 
the the only thing that we that the, we have to trust is that the shards that are out there actually will reconstitute into a private key, because there is no way to trust trustlessly verify that the content of these shards, you know, will eventually be a Bitcoin private key. So, um, you know, but Eric was like, that would be, um, you know, obviously not in his best interest and all the people involved to do that. Because if this is successful and it looks like it's going to be, then he's just going to do it again and again. And it'll be really good for whatever business he wants to do. When I just got to throw this out there and I'm not saying anything about Eric or the people putting it on, but uh, I do always think of the Monopoly game piece, the contest with um, McDonald's. And how pretty much all of those games were rigged since the inception, where the the guy that was in charge was basically handing the the winning pieces out to people he knew or people that would buy them from him. So, right. but I, I I mean that's I mean it's a possibility. I'm just throwing it out there. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, it could be won by. Somebody who Eric knows, I guess, and it's going to be won by Dovey. By Dovey, yeah, I would be skeptical <laughs> if it's won by like a one or two person team because I don't. I think that would be too hard. Like I think the game's designed where because I, I listened to the your interview interview with him and it sounded like he wanted it designed to where you do have to work kind of with people. Yeah, it it is designed. It is tried. It is designed to do that, and I think, I think it will too just from having thought about it for whatever 10 days now so just for the record i think it's great i think it's when when it's found it's going to be like a big big story yeah probably it'll probably be something that people always talk about right yeah i think it's like we had the the lightning torch which was a really great story for bitcoiners but didn't get too much outside of bitcoin this one has potential to be like massive mainstream media attention at some point you know Absolutely. All right. Um, what about the wasabi thing? I know that I listened to the Block Digest episode where Nopara was talking about um, the integration. He did it like overnight one night because he couldn't sleep. He was thinking about it too much. And yeah, he did it in one night. So um, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, what are your thoughts there, Brady, since you brought it up? Yeah, I think it's really cool too. Uh, I am going to move to it. I have Wasabi Wallet set up and have been playing with it and have some Bitcoin in there just to see how it all works and mix some mix some uh, Bitcoin up. Um, but yeah, like now that it has, uh, I can I can also integrate it with my own full node very easily. So like I have a ledger, so I've been using Ledger Live to manage my Bitcoin, and that means that I'm using Ledger's full node and not my own. So Ledger has knowledge of of my transactions and and what I do with my Bitcoin. Uh, so this is a, a more Bitcoin way uh, to do things. And, and so now I can very easily just use my, well, I can't use do it with my ledger, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a Trezor, a Trezor so I can do it uh, sooner than later um, and just start and move all my Bitcoin over to Wasabi Wallet on my own full node and, and on my Trezor. So that's going to be, it's going to be pretty easy, which is, which is exciting. That's what I'm excited about. It's going to be a big improvement for my personal sovereignty and it's going to be easy. So just to be clear, the Wasabi wallet uh, offers an interface into the hardware wallet. So you can manage the hardware wallet from within the Wasabi wallet. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so Wasabi Wallet will be your interface for your hardware wallet instead of like Ledger Live or whatever Trezor uses. Ledger Live is an app, like a Mac OS app, and I think they have a Windows app, of course. And uh, it used okay. to be, I think Trezor uses uh, maybe like a Chrome or Firefox or both plugin. Okay. Um, I think it's going to be like Electrum. Um, I heard Nopara mm -hmm. saying yeah. that he was kind of modeling it off of Electrum, which Electrum is the only wallet that I know of right now that you can use with your hardware wallet. Works really great. Yep. S speaking of Electrum, um, did you see this, uh, you know, issue with a man in the middle attack with uh, updates to Electrum are being hijacked and then some kind of, you know, malware type version of Electrum is being installed and people are losing their Bitcoin. Have you all heard about that? Yeah, they're having pretty massive problems right now. Um, so one, they have a little um, little updating notification that pops up um, and or injecting malware into that. The link not taking you back to the Electrum site. So people were getting told they have an out-of-date version that has a security bug that they need to fix immediately. Click on this link to fix your Electrum, and then it takes you to a malware site, not to electrum.org. And also, they are having a botnet attack all of their uh, servers. So you can generally there's like 100 Electrum servers that you can connect to. Um, you know, it's an SPV wallet, so you have to connect to one of their servers. If you're not using Electrum Personal Server or Electrum X with your own node, you have to, you know, it's an SPV wallet. And they have had a botnet of, apparently I read on Reddit, it was 25,000 different computers um, DDoSing all of their servers. So their servers have been... They're, they're, the wallet's been essentially uh, unusable for going on two weeks. It's more than a week now. Well, that makes now, me think, like, how many Bitcoins are held there? And um, is that lowering the sell side of the market right now? Because people can't get their Bitcoins out. And how many people use Electrum? Those are my questions. A lot. Electrum has to be the most popular desktop wallet, as far as I know. It's been around forever. It's fully featured. It's, yeah, I, I like Electrum. Great, great wallet. A lot of people use it. Definitely the OGs, I would say. Like, yes. Yeah. And again, like I said, they maybe they wanted to sell at 5,000, but they couldn't. What do you think about that? I had not thought about that. Well, that's a very interesting point. So and again, if they're OGs, they probably just huddle. Yeah, yeah. Here's a question that's this kind of ties into like wallets and this kind of thing. The last time we got together, we were talking about Julian Assange and all this stuff. And then a couple days later, he was arrested or whatever. Here's a question. Do you think Julian Assange uses a brain wallet? I mean, if he was arrested, you know... <laughs> thrown in jail like he's unless he really trusts the people he works with you know how else is he go ahead 
if he doesn't have a brain wallet, like what else has he been doing in there for the last seven years? He should be like, I I just picture him like sitting there, like cross-legged in the bed for like three straight hours every morning and every night, like just reciting his, his like 25 words over and over again, like a mantra, like, like Arya Stark, you know, like in in her list of like names. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I would be I mean, shocked if he didn't use a multi-sig with the rest of the keys held by various people in the WikiLeaks organization. Yeah. Yeah, he probably has that too. Right. I would think he has a personal like brain wallet and then he has other wallets that help fund his operations. But I would kind of think he keeps his own personal stash in a brain wallet, some you know, to just for his own personal financial security you know so i don't know that was a question so i wanted to bring that up yeah brain wallet is very risky especially considering the person whose brain it's inside of the most wanted man on earth maybe you know right well a few people are coming to his aid so i hope it um continues i haven't heard any updates in you know, over the weekend or anything. But last I heard was there was several uh, people in the UK government and other uh, governmental organizations in Europe, I think, that uh, are trying to help him. But we'll see. Right. Okay. Should I read the questions from Twitter? Sure. We'll see what we got. Okay, like I said, there was three of them. And we'll just cut out if any, because some of these are like, I think I read them a little bit earlier. They made me think some people were shit coiners trying to ask me questions, but let's see. Um, So one guy said, uh, positive news items, Rakuten, Rakuten offers crypto exchange to millions of Japanese customers, record trading volumes on Coinbase and Binance. NASDAQ, uh, they were, weren't they like something leaked that they were looking at Bitcoin trading? So he's, I guess he's asking about, um, what do we think about the kind of, um, groundswell of demand? I don't even know. Is there a groundswell? Does anybody have any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I think. Wasn't it uh, Turdemister that released a report recently this week too? Um, his an, uh, an analytics or company or analysis or whatever advisory. Adamant Capital. Whatever. Yep. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, released a report and it was downloaded like seven thousand times or something um, in like twenty four hours uh, from all over the world, and Tour said that that was a. Uh, Def, like a major increase, like in attention to what he was doing, uh, to what his company's doing, and that it's you know he's saw it as a very um, strong signal that a, you know a strong accumulation is happening right now. So, I haven't even that was the title of the paper too, right? Might be heavy <laughs> accumulation or something. I have not read the paper. I have only read his tweets. I've been playing Satoshi's Treasure, so, you know. (laughs) Now, are we talking, like, over-the-counter purchases? Or, like, I don't really understand all this fancy uh, 
<laughs> market stuff. So, well, they they looked at multiple things, and Tour has um, a couple specifically with his his uh, paper that they they released. The they have a couple big metrics, and one of them is like the hodl. It's related to the hodl wave. So, um, how many bitcoins are are in circulation and liveness, um, things like that of the kind of activity on the network. And so, yeah, he was saying that we're definitely in an accumulation phase, if not the accumulation phase started at the low, right. And is continuing right now. So that could be OTC or on exchanges for, of course. I've never heard of this Rakuten exchange. Uh, looks like something in China, uh, Japan. Has anybody heard of that? About that? It's a retailer, isn't it? They're in, yeah, they're in, 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 they're like Amazon kind of. I think yeah, it's they're like the Chinese Amazon. Japanese, I think. Japanese things. Yep, yep. They're massive. Uh, so that yeah, they do a lot more than just retail now. Uh, Are they accepting they... Bitcoin or something? They have launched a, a crypto trading platform. Begins registration apparently, um, and it'll be launching an exchange in June. They've opened their portals for traders to register. Um, yeah, it will definitely include Bitcoin and you know a bunch of other altcoins, shitcoins. <laughs> what are we going for tonight? Uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of shitcoins. Like I don't know. I guess there's probably a few of them that deserve. The uh, honorific altcoin, but most of them are shitcoins. Increase uh, yeah. the liquidity. Come on, increase the liquidity of those shitcoins and let people <laughs> let people dump it. See, man, they're they're not going the anywhere. Game. Exchanges are opening to to offer them, so they're definitely going to be with us this next wave up. I oh, think yeah. for sure. Yep, they will be, and yeah. Ansel, have have we gotten into the altcoin uh, discussion yet? Well, we can. There, there's two more questions here on Twitter, but we can get to those later. Yeah. This seems like perfect segue. So, uh, do you think that they will be, like, what will happen with altcoins and shitcoins in this next uh, wave of Bitcoin adoption? In your well, I, I think that their their market cap has peaked. So, what whatever it was the last bubble um they got it to like 5 what, 400 billion or something like that i don't yeah, see all a trillion. yeah i don't see all coins going over that ever again um i think they'll have to be scrambling and competing for smaller and smaller market share so yeah i don't think they're going to go away blockchains really hard to kill but uh they'll just go off into insignificance. Like when, when people talk about the S&P 500, they don't think of pink sheets or anything like that. So I think people will think of Bitcoin as Bitcoin. And then they'll think of these altcoins as like a den of scammers and thieves, which yeah. they are. I mean, I, agree. I definitely agree with you in the long run, but I'm not sure that I agree that it's going to happen on this next wave of adoption. Cause I think, I think we've probably started the ramp up. It looks like. Uh, you know, you can never be sure. And we will be, I mean, we will be sure at some point, but we are not sure yet. Uh, well, what are it you, looks like. Are you counting stable coins as altcoins? Because that, that is a question mark in my mind. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, I would. Um, why? Yeah, I guess why? I guess I would say why not? Like, what are the reasons not to? Um, well, you know, Tether is what two point five billion. They're they're consistently in the top ten, and um, there's more and more of these stable coins. And I think you know what happens if a major government launches a stable coin and puts a lot of back uh, influence behind it, then it could be it could be a trillion dollar stable coin overnight and surpass that could flip in Bitcoin. But is that really, should that be counted? Um, I don't, I mean, it's, so. it's fiat, right? Those, that's a fiat yeah. coin. So yeah, I don't, yeah, I see, I, I see the argument for not counting it. And I think stable that's coins are just fiat proxies. I, I would, yeah, I would not count those. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree with your general thesis, Ansel, but I just think um, alts are going to come with Bitcoin again. I don't think they're ever going to trade as high relative to Bitcoin as they did in December and June of last year, or 2017 rather, but they're going to come along. So they'll probably have a higher market cap, but it'll probably be the last wave, maybe one. Think of it like this. All of the scammers that profited off shit coins this last cycle have more money now to create new shit coins for the incoming crowd. And it's not hard to pump yeah, them, right? But they also have more money to wreck other people. You know, they, they make money off volatility and they stack Bitcoin. So um I, I don't I don't buy the I don't know. I don't buy that. Speaking of, what is the use case for like that bit BTT or whatever? <laughs> it's like, I think that one kind of like sticks out as far as when, it, you know, creating new coins. Like, what is that supposed to do? BitTorrent you know, one? Yeah, like I'm trying to figure out, not, not that I'm like spending a lot of thought on it, but I don't, I don't understand <laughs> Can somebody explain what that oh. coin is supposed to do? It's ridiculous. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm referencing what you just said. It's like these people are like creating new coins, and it's like, what is the purpose of them? And that one kind of like came to mind. So, I don't know. You're asking about the uh, the BitTorrent coin. Yeah, like the BTT? Tron. This like BitTorrent okay. thing. Like, so it's just another like way to something for somebody to buy and i don't even know what the purpose of it is can somebody then, explain that well so i think you you hit the nail on the head right if if you if you dig you know beneath the surface you'll notice you know you don't need a token or a coin to power the technology and that's the whole you know that, that that's the whole mirage behind i i think 99 of the altcoins because you know like BitTorrent coin the technology already exists <laughs> like like you don't need a token to make it do anything it's already there right yeah so i i don't think it has a real use is what i'm trying to say it's a okay. rube goldberg machine it's use cases to transfer wealth to the creators anyway that came to mind as far as you know selling some trash to people or something i don't know one thing I'm 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 going to be watching is uh, the EOS Ethereum flipping because I think that's 
that's probably within the next 12 months. What do you guys think? How do you think that's going to go down, Ansel? Like, I mean, is are there going to be a lot of bag holders that just flip over to ETH finally? Like, that's going to be the final capitulation. I'm sorry for uh, from ETH to EOS. Um, but yeah. basically, like ETH banner holders for many years flip over at their like their price is like what they got in under 15 bucks or something like that. Some of them probably really like much lower than that. Yeah, and I just think that uh, EOS is more honest about being more centralized, and that's actually part of their competitive advantage, at least from what I saw claimed early on. So, um, you know, the the narrative or the memes evolve, and EOS is going to be able to scale better because it is more centralized, and Ethereum is just going to, you know, run aground pretty soon. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Tron, there's a ton of people building dApps on Tron now too, which yeah, seems I like this a up joke to me. I think but... I think it was either it was maybe the last banter or the banter before that. Ansel said the same thing about EOS flipping uh Ethereum. I did. And I was like I was like, I think you did. And I and I was I was the one that said that's I'm like Tron, man. It's gonna be Tron. <laughs> Justin's son, I don't know, he just like is preternaturally good at this game and uh better than it's going to he's gonna out uh who's the who's the eos guy again what's his name larimer oh yeah larimer he's gonna out dan larimer uh dan larimer and and uh vitalik for that matter i agree though i think ethereum is pretty much over with i mean it just gets more convoluted complex and centralized every week and i've seen some people in the because my big beef recently has been this DeFi with maker dow and others and um i've noticed in the last week there's been some people that i don't know if maybe they were kind of proponents of it and now they're calling it out as because the rates are raising so high and all this um so uh, even their golden child maker DAO uh, is is running out of steam. Well, that wasn't that didn't take very long, did it? No, and I was kind of hoping that Christian would be on here, ZK Snarks, because yeah, his co-host <laughs> David. I go back and forth with him on Twitter about um, how shitty Die is. <laughs> yeah, POV Crypto Podcast. Check it out. Christian hosts it with uh, David, and they it's a Bitcoiner and an Ethereum is the way they put it, which I think it was the first time I've ever heard the word Ethereum was on their podcast, the opening of their podcast. What the heck is that? It's an, a person who follows Ethereum, I suppose, an Ethereum. <laughs> is that the guys that dance on stage? Yeah, with Vitalik. Man, those are some... Uh, those are, those are classics, man. Those videos. Yeah, I, videos. I really like that show, and I really like that David has the um, the courage, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word to be on a show like that. I think they have more Ethereum listeners, though, than they have Bitcoin listeners. Yeah, that makes sense because I think most Bitcoiners are just like, I don't want to listen to 
a show that has half Ethereum content. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Gonna say Bitcoiners want to hear about Bitcoin. They they don't want to hear about the other coins. Yeah, I mean, I listen to it as well, but and it's you know it's good to keep up on these competitors just you know for the sport of it and for you know doing the do your own research uh you know purposes uh of it but there's only so many you can track you know i totally well, yeah. agree plus there's i mean we we're bitcoiners and so yeah we have our we've have all this knowledge behind us but um you know the noobs that's i i always am like we're competing over the noobs mainly as content creators and things because every wave is going to get bigger um you know the next wave could be a half a billion people and we're going to be competing over those people and where they invest their money you know what uh interestingly i'm starting to have um I onboarded uh, this one guy that I work with that has been listening to me go on about Bitcoin for the last year. Um, and I'm noticing the other people that come to talk about it don't really want to talk about any other coin. You know, they, they're like, listen, I've, hear, I've heard of these other coins, but I just want to know how I can get Bitcoin. So I, I think to be perfectly honest, because of the media, we, we can actually thank the media for some things. They, you know, they, they publicized so much, you know, so many of these garbage coins that people really just don't want to be confused by it all. And they just want to buy Bitcoin. Right. That's the network effects for you. Let me throw this at you, right? I was talking to a buddy of mine and, you know, he's been in the United States on a visa, he works in a financial, at a financial institution, this kind of thing. And so he understands like economics. He has a master's in economics, this kind of stuff, right? And I'm trying to tell him that if he gets deported, he needs to buy Bitcoin <laughs> because he's gonna like lose his, you know, access to like his, us accounts possibly and this kind of stuff and even even that kind of use case that i was trying to talk to him about he still would not like there's i don't know what it is but there's something that people just cannot wrap their head around i was like you you could buy bitcoin you could if you get deported guess what you can take your your bitcoin with you and you won't have an issue now if you get deported you could possibly lose access to your bank accounts whatever else and this kind of stuff and even with that kind of use case that applied specifically to him he just had a hard time wrapping his head around it you know it was oh. back to like the same questions like how does it work? Who runs it? Like very basic ideas. And I tried to get into that stuff, but then it's always, you know, people that are trying to launder money or buy drugs, you know, this kind of stuff. And I was just like, I just think keep, some keep people, him, man. He'll, I he'll just be think a in a year. if he, if he's not deported first, I, the, my point was, is I just, I can't waste a lot of like breath, you know, I'll try to like put out some 
use cases, some basic points, but I'm not going to waste my breath with people on this stuff. I mean, maybe <laughs> I don't know where you guys are at, but I'm just going to like, you know, I'll put out some information, but I'm not going to like wrestle with them. You know, I don't know. What are you, what are your thoughts on like converting people and well, you do your best, but you know, at the same time, you don't want to cast pearls in front of swine. Um, right. Like this guy that you mentioned, you said he has a master's degree in economics, so that already lets you know he's probably been indoctrinated <laughs> pretty hardcore. He's a Keynesian. Keynesian sickness. And cognitive dissonance is a huge barrier to get past you know it's going to cause a complete clash of his world views so he might not ever come around and don't worry about it work on the people who uh you can get to you know most of his arguments and rebuttals were just basic like old news headlines which kind of brings me to a different point (laughs) i posted a, a link in here right to this uh Okay, so it's this cryptoinsider.com, right? And the the headline is JP Morgan drops JPM coin, comma, embraces XRP, right? But the thing is, is the category is headlines slash satire slash XRP news. So here's my question. Is, is this crypto insider page or whatever, you know, I just kind of pulled it up. Are they getting paid? Because the, this whole satire category is very, it's not very prominent in the uh, article. You could scroll right past it and not realize that it's a satire piece. And so, the, and then there's like a tweet in here about, oh, Tiffany Hayden, thank you, thank you, Jamie Dimon, for finally discovering the power of XRP the standard. Can't wait for $589 and hyper XRPization. It's like, okay, so this this kind of like ties into this this media thing. Like the basic person, the general person, they're just going off of headlines. It's there's I don't think that there's any way to overcome like disinformation bad information when it comes to the headlines and the like general population. Well, on my last, last podcast, I talked about uh, building up the common sense of people uh, because like a lot of these altcoins and a lot of these tokens and ICOs, they're, they're built on just people. It's so new to people. So we, there is no like level of common sense where if you get an email scam, like a Nigerian prince thing, you have a level of common sense. Dan, you're echoing there. Maybe, yeah. Um, So, yeah, you have a level of common sense uh, that you can uh, rely on, um, that you're not going to click on the Nigerian prince scam. But in Bitcoin, there is no common sense. And so one of the things about being, uh, like, trying to educate people is just to build that base level of common sense and then people will be able to see through um this whole satire stuff i I think it's i think that's a little different though because a lot of these scams like ether eos they employ a lot of people too and a lot of these icos so when you got like 10 people working for a company 
it, it's it's sorry it it seems a lot more legitimate when i go in los angeles to an eos uh meeting or a ETH meetup there's a lot more people there than at the bitcoin meetups so you sort of get the impression that it's hey this thing is legit and and all that yeah but isn't that an argument for why like because people just don't have like this base recognition of the fundamentals here and if people oh, did, oh definitely oh definitely i was uh, just saying it, it it they 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 don't and that's exactly exactly you're exactly right and this is like I, to me the kind of basic underlying assumption or like belief i guess that i have that makes me think that we're definitely not done with altcoin pumps like i could see altcoins going to and we're not not even and we're setting aside stable coins as we talked about earlier but uh altcoins crypto crypto altcoins cryptocurrency altcoins that are selling some level of trustlessness or decentralization uh, as an alternative to fiat will continue is because we have so much more to do on education and People just don't understand yet. With it. yes, they've all everyone's heard of it. Heard the word Bitcoin now. All right, that happened last pump. Now we have like each wave of adoption has to increase the number of actual educated Bitcoiners out there until we get to a point where there's like one in six or one in ten in the whole world. And and those that those like one in six or one in ten people are sort of the the final the you know, the, the final wave of evangel evangelization that like teaches and education that teaches everyone about their, their few friends or family. They're the Bitcoin person in their lives. And they now everyone knows finally. Um, well, I think that's going to take, you know, at least one more wave, uh, maybe more, more like two or three uh, before people are really educated enough to be like, okay, the shelling point has been reached and everyone agrees. This is the best money available on the open market for money. And we're all going to, to use it as our unit of account and our medium of exchange and our store of value. And that's, that's going to be like decades maybe, uh, or, or a decade at least, you know, away. Let me throw this in here about like, okay, a couple things. The whole at Bitcoin thing on Twitter, there was like a discussion about this, what to do with this uh, Twitter account. But the other thing I was posting somewhere, what if there was a company out there that said, that called themselves Wendy's Dave Thomas's vision, they would immediately get sued for some kind of a trademark copyright infringement. But when it comes to Bitcoin Satoshi's vision, everything's okay. Bitcoin cash, like Bitcoin, whatever it's, you see how like the, the infringement on the brand from that kind of perspective you know i've ne you'll never see a wendy's dave thomas's vision as like a competing restaurant for wendy's bitcoin has to win on the open market even including the uh you know a ability because it, is, it has to be open source for this to work the ability for anyone just to copy it and then use marketing to to confuse people and so Bitcoin shouldn't need the state or any state to like protect it uh, with some kind of like trademark law or whatever. It needs to win on the open market with no state protections because it's not state money. This is the separation of money and state. This is, 
you know, a self-sovereignty thing. And so it's got to, it's got to win despite all of this stuff. And yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is, it, we're not, we're not done with this yet. Like, this is going to continue to happen. Well, okay. Okay. Actually, I agree with what you said, but from a new person going into Coinbase and then purchasing Bitcoin cash and then trying to transfer Bitcoin cash to a Bitcoin wallet and loses their money, they can claim, they have to be able to claim some kind of damages. It's I say send them after Coinbase for selling them the, the shit coin. I there there's some there's a there's a gap there that somebody is going to be held responsible for those kinds of damages like some kind of consumer protection whether well, it's i mean and uh i mean if the state was gone it would be that responsibility would lie on the the consumer or the the user right. and i have to agree with uh with jeff for the uh Coinbase being liable because I, I can tell you working for a manufacturer of, of hardware and software, you know, I mean, if we don't put an explicit message indicating exactly what is going to happen, if you press the button below, that's on us. So right. Coinbase, you know, shame on them if they didn't, if, and, and they didn't, I mean, I still remember when it happened. I still remember when BCH, you know, came on and everything, and it was totally confusing if you weren't paying attention. So you know, back to Randy's original point, it's, you know, to, to a new person, especially, you know, to a lay person who's maybe not so technical, which to be perfectly honest, you know, this, it goes back to the, uh, you know, the hyper Bitcoinization. When we get to that point, you know, you, you just, those people, though, those average people need to understand Bitcoin for us to get to that point. And coming into a place like Coinbase where you're completely confused because there's three freaking Bitcoins, there's actually way more than three, you know, like they, you know, I, I mean, I guess just for the sake of confusion, I mean, why would you even want to keep that name? You know, right. Like let Bcash be Bcash, you know, let's you know, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision should just be BSV or some other name or just call it something else. <laughs> okay. So here, here's, for instance, with Litecoin, when they forked, they changed their address scheme. It know Litecoin knows Litecoin addresses because of an address scheme change when they forked. You know what I'm talking about? Correct. And so why didn't why didn't Bitcoin Cash do that? Well, they actually have. Oh, it did they a, see it, it took them a few months after they forked. To implement it, but they have. Okay, they have okay. Different. But I think they actually still have the legacy scheme too. They have a oh. new scheme. I think it starts with BCH, all their addresses or something like that. Okay. But um, I'm not sure if all the exchanges and wallets have implemented it. So there might be still some um, chance of fuck ups. I got you. But yeah, that's not even to mention, you know. Bitcoin.com, who was pretty much doing outright fraud, selling Bitcoin cash to people as Bitcoin. Okay, so what do we think? Is uh, Bitcoin price going to pull back 4100 or lower? Not that low? I'm kind of curious what you all think about the uh, price. I think 
well, maybe it's just hope. <laughs> I, th I still think we're going to see a, a 3K handle again. You think so? 3,100? I don't know about 3,100, but... Not that specific? Oh, I'm yeah, thinking... 37 36 oh okay. okay i don't know i think we can wick down there for sure i think we yeah, can exactly down to 30 pullback yeah to 3700 but um i'm i'm eyeballing that 4200 that's i think we can get back down there for for sure yeah that's absolutely the first stop i actually okay yeah. i see that in the next couple week or pretty soon Low really? fours. I gotcha. I think we dumped yeah. down to the 200 week moving average wherever it's at. We're going to catch there. I, I think we might wake below it, but I think we'll close above the 200 week moving average on the weekly candle. And then it's off to the races. Well, didn't the, the 200 day didn't really uh, give us any resistance at all, right? So one yeah, more we went up through it pretty easily. So yeah, I I don't think that many, I guess, uh, day traders are looking at the two hundred day. I I think big maybe big accumulators are looking at that, but um, I I don't think it will have much resistance on the way down either. I agree. Where's it at though? Fifty four sixteen right now. <clears throat> What's the price? There might be some support at like 47.45 on this chart that I'm kind of like looking at. Let's so. see. One more test and then we'll never see these prices again. That's, that's the, I think that regardless of where it retests, I think pretty much everybody agrees that these prices are going to be gone soon, never, be, never to be seen again. So I'm kind of... I don't know. Would you all agree? Like this is the last time these prices are going to be available. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think we dipped up after that dip, that last dip. So the 200 week moving average now is like 3,600, 3,700. Uh, so I think we hit that like middle of June. I'm guess. I'm just getting, I'm just guessing. That's where the, the old downtrend, like from the bear market downtrend on the weekly okay. chart, intersect will will roughly intersect with the 200 week moving average so i think that that's where we're going to hit it so that's about two months away and then it's off i forget what is i don't follow some of these like complex instruments but i think there's something that's like ending on like april 26th some kind of like futures contract is ending and yeah I don't I can't speak with much authority on it but it's somewhere between like April 26th and April 30th it's very possible like that's when the pullback's going to happen you know that's not with a lot of uh, supporting facts but I forget where I was seeing that but uh, some kind of contract is ending on a April 26th and it seems to have some kind of effect on price so I don't know if anybody can speak to that but the last time we had a, uh, the last time we had options expire, it uh, the Bitcoin price didn't even budge. So not to say that that won't happen this time, but to your point, um, quite often when options expire, prices dip. So gotcha. 
but to the, that weekly chart you pulled up, right? I mean, regardless of, you know, regardless of moving averages and whatnot, you look at that on the weekly, we still have some huge overhead in the 6,400, close to 6,500 region. We haven't broken right. through that. And even though, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm obviously super bullish and I'd love it to just finally start the the next bull trend. But the reality is we still do have a long-term downtrend that is intact. We do have a lot of support and we are showing reversal signs, but right. I'm still, I mean, for me, like I, I'm still in accumulation territory, you know, so. Right. Like major resistance at 57.99, major resistance at uh, like 6,200-ish. So there's some, I would agree, like we have some time to accumulate before it uh, breaks out of some of that stuff, I think. Yeah. If you think we're just going to go up through 6,000 like a knife through hot butter, I think you should have your head examined. <laughs> right. Yeah, people people are waiting to sell to get out. You know, some some people kind of bought before that uh, drop, and they're just kind of like, I need to get my money out. So there's going to be some resistance there. It's from the opportunity cost of trying to hold until they can get out for however many months that was. So should we uh, go to the other Twitter questions? Let me just, uh, speaking of the price, does anybody think that that whole price spike was a little weird? Well, so that that's where, I mean, uh, let me ask you this. Were, were you in the, um, you know, have you experienced the prior bull market for, for Bitcoin, because um, if you have, you'll know that those spikes are nothing. <laughs> so, well, I've been around saying. for the prior bull markets, but the higher the previous bull markets, you could accomplish those price spikes with a couple million dollars in notional right. value. Where this, from what I read, I mean, I was sleeping, so I didn't get to watch the price action. But from what I read, it was somebody... Presumably, the same entity was executing seven thousand dollars more or less market buy orders on three different exchanges for twenty-one thousand bitcoins. Yes, they fat fingered their uh, terminal. Oops, I didn't mean to buy buy it. (laughs) I don't know. To me, that was very weird because, well, I mean, who could be doing that? I mean. Now, I, yeah, I, I had... would rule out any type of institutional investor because if you're an institutional, say you're a you know, portfolio manager for a family office or something, you got somebody who wants to buy 20,000 Bitcoins, well, you have a fiduciary duty to them to seek best execution. In fact, if you don't get seek best execution, you're liable, legally mm-hmm. liable, at least in the United States. I don't know how it is elsewhere. So if somebody buys 7,000 Bitcoin on three different exchanges at the market, pushing the price up 25%, causing major slippage, that's a huge liability. So that kind of rules out institutional investors, unless it was somebody who had accumulated a very large position, OTC, and then were intentionally trying to induce positive slippage. Right. But if that was the case, 
they bought 20,000 Bitcoin, that means they must have had, who knows, call it 100,000 Bitcoin in their total holdings. Like, that's a lot of Bitcoin. That's, um, was that, that 400 that narrows it down to who? Yeah, yeah. Well, think about that. It's like $400 million worth of Bitcoin, their total position. Say they had 100,000. And then you think the fund, you know, they probably wouldn't put more than 10% of the fund's money into Bitcoin. So we're talking about a $4 billion fund. Ooh. And it's like, when you're a $4 billion fund, you know, you have compliance departments, legal departments. You're not just a, a group of six guys with 50 million under, under management. You're a pretty big f fund. So it's going to be quite a risk to play fast and loose like that and try to induce that type of um, movement by manipulating the market. Would, would no. they be able to get that much Bitcoin OTC? Maybe, maybe the, they were having a hard time doing it OTC. Right. I definitely think they could get 100K. It would take them some time for sure. But yeah, they can get that. Does anybody know roughly how, how much is out there and liquidity on OTC? Well, there's 1.6 million Bitcoins that have moved in the last month. Boom. So that's, think... and that's pretty constant over the last year. So uh, you're working within that. And if, if you buy like 100,000, man, that's a huge percentage of the liquid Bitcoin, I think, out there. So I don't know what what... It couldn't be a like bots, right? So one guy buys a thousand bitcoins, and then the bots just take over because it's so illiquid right now. Well, I definitely think that there was a lot of short covering going on. Right. But I mean, buying seven thousand at the margin like that—that's pretty fishy, in my it, opinion. It supports a dump, like somebody's just trying to. They're going to Bart Simpson this thing and dump it back to like whatever, 4,100. Well, no, if I, I think if it was actually somebody who had an OTC position, huge OTC position, what they're going to do is they're going to try and do this multiple times. They're, they're scaling going to in. Slowly, yeah. They're going to slowly, um, you know, sell yeah. back those 20,000 Bitcoin up here at 5,000 or whatever. They'll probably, they might even come out slightly at a loss on it. And then they're going to try and do the same thing again, maybe several times. So it'll be something to watch for. But put on my tinfoil hat here for a moment. And I thought the only other person, you know, it could be a whale too. It could just be some, some whale who was in Trace Bitcoin Mayer. early. It could be Trace. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, Trace is very shrewd. <laughs> but Warren um, Buffett. Warren Buffett fat fingered his uh, Coinbase app. <laughs> he was like, "Be a while, well, though." <laughs> well, but check that. Though... Check that uh, tweet that I put in. Coinmetrics did um, an analysis of that time, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's the same stuff you're talking about. It looked like multiple orders hit different exchanges. But there was a few that kind of looked like they were front running, but they weren't that big. I mean, it only looked like a couple hundred Bitcoins that kind of kicked it off. Oh, really? Well, 
I had read these were big orders you, executed the, simultaneously. Think about it this way. If, if, say, some entity was trying to, you know, write some scripts to automate a buy over several exchanges, it's it could be as simple as, a, you know, the developer that was writing scripts. I mean, what if they just screwed up? You know, they're they're in the middle of like writing some kind of like automated scripts so they can execute a buy over multiple exchanges at the same time. And well, again, I, I mean, say it's very <laughs> limited in who those participants could be because the sheer size of the orders. Like, even if you have a, a bot that goes haywire, you know, <laughs> you still they still need to have the money in their account to buy right, twenty thousand right. dollars worth twenty thousand bitcoins. You know, right. So. I don't know. If I was going to go um, tinfoil hat, I'd say could be a central bank. Could be. Because they have no, been known to have very poor execution before. Or, or IMF. <laughs> could be. I don't know. Like, you have to think. It's probably somebody who's um, either not sophisticated, a whale doing a fat finger, or it's somebody who doesn't have as high of a degree of a profit motive as most professionals, which would be somebody like a central bank. Because who doesn't have a profit motive, you know? Okay, so I just posted that this article, uh, CFTC chair, whoever hints at what's holding back backs Bitcoin futures. You know, at this point, I think these people post these like headlines to try and, you know, as far to try and get cheaper Bitcoin. They're like, these people are planning something big, but they don't want to tip their hand. You, okay. Think about it this way. If somebody goes over the um, counter, people are going to know about it. They're going to like you. I, I imagine that stuff is pretty public in some way. Yeah, I I don't know, I don't know how much it would leak, per se. But like some of these big things, like say a ETF product is uh, going to get approved, or this back thing is going to get approved, or something. I don't know. Um, these market makers need to accumulate, and I I mean I didn't hear any sort of leaks or official things when the CME was getting started, and you know there was people having to buy at that time. Like one, one of the things, um, I don't know, you guys could probably point point th this out if it's wrong, but I think one of the big issues about the top was um, market makers for CME were probably CME themselves were buying a lot of Bitcoin because they thought maybe there was going to be a ton of demand, but then it turned out there was only like, you know, 5,000 Bitcoin demand and they had to sell all of that back into the market. And that kind of, helped with this downturn or help pop the bubble um market makers buy all the time and you don't hear about it so i, I don't know I, I think they can be pretty secretive gotcha okay let's jump on into the other question i don't know how to pronounce this sultane's coin <laughs> thanks for the question but it sounds like a shit coin um i'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm always interested in the topic of personal security in the age of personal custody. Um, 
of your own funds. I haven't heard a good podcast discussion yet about how to avoid being kneecapped uh, to get passphrases, etc. So this is the the, the $5 <laughs> oh, wrench attack. Um, so this is kind of down Lops Alley of OPSEC and all this. Um, does anybody have any words that they want to say about this one? Well, I'd just even add to it. it it's not even... Uh, it, it, you know, because I think most people would say do like multi-sigs and um, but that doesn't resolve the fact that you could be attacked if somebody thinks that you have some Bitcoin, right? Yeah, I'm just adding that to there that it doesn't you don't necessarily, um, you know, if you don't have access to the key, but they're still kneecapping you, right? Right. They think you have the key. And so they're going to beat you, beat you silly. And so I think the best thing is kind of you don't really want to be telling people you have Bitcoin at, at a certain point. And you probably want to keep, uh, you know, learn to shoot a gun and keep one by you. Right. You know, the thing about be your own bank is banks hire security. It's like if you want to be your own bank, you have to, like, consider the possibility, like, you might need to be proficient in a firearm, hopefully you can legally own one and protect your home and family and all that stuff. It's, it's a tricky issue. There there's more to be your own bank than just, uh, you know, Oh, I got a wallet. It's like, you know, I think it's also important if you do make it known, you know, um, cause I think probably everybody here probably goes to meetups and, uh, talks about it and tries to, you know, push adoption. But so maybe even talking about how inaccessible your Bitcoin is would be a strategy um, so that the people that do know that you have Bitcoin know that you're not an easy target and that a physical attack probably won't yield anything. Right. I do that. I organize a meetup and, uh, you know, I'm a huge asshole in my meetup. No, I have Bitcoin. But so I do employ that strategy. I tell them, yeah, I couldn't even get to it if I wanted it. Do you have it locked down, like uh, set to private settings and all that? What? The meetup on the meetup site. Yeah, like oh, can it's, any, no, it's public. Join? So anybody it's can public. join. Anybody can join. And yes, I am a gun owner. <laughs> and yes, after meetups, I do actually usually look in the rearview mirror a few times to make sure I'm not being followed home. You're also Great. a B Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and uh, fight. Oh, I'm in, a boxer. In, in like the underground LA Fight Club. <laughs> Hard as nails. Well, we, uh, <laughs> we, we shut our meetup down. So like one locked it down. So... You have to request to be in the meetup and you have to join to see the location of the meetup. And of course, we always keep it in a very public place. Like we don't have like a private meeting room or something like it's always um, in a coffee shop or in a bar or something that's pretty public. Uh, just because of that, because I thought of that with the last run up, like right in the bear market, you're more safe, but. You know, if it's going past twenty thousand, it you're a much bigger target. 
yep, this when act- there's another run up, I'll probably um, rethink my whole approach. I didn't know you can make it uh, private, though. I'll have to look at that. Well, this gets back to, uh, you know, this Craig Wright. Satoshi would never break his anonymity. It can can everybody agree on that? Just for the like, he would be such a target. If, quote unquote, it's one person. Imagine the like the the issues a person like that would have. As far like they would never be able to walk around in public again. And then you got this guy over here talking this stuff. It's like you know what. I just because of that simple fact that you would who would want to be a target for the rest of their lives, except some I don't know you do you you understand what I'm saying? It's like whether it's one person or a group of people or whatever, they would all be targets if it's a group of people. It's it's like isn't it the same as politicians and stuff though? Like psychos, psychos want that target on their back, but. Okay, but think about it this way. It just it just wouldn't be a personal security issue. It would be an entire family and associate security issue. I mean, if you had children and you were outed as Satoshi Nagamoto and you would literally just have to be it would you'd have to have like secret service level security on all of your loved ones for the rest of their lives. Your friends and family are under constant threat now of kidnapping, extortion. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Well, that's because you're not a psychopath. (laughs) Right. They're under constant threat of being kidnapped to extort Bitcoin from him. It, It just doesn't add up. I haven't seen anybody bring that argument to him. That's a little I think bit. it goes I mean I do think um somebody that does that would probably be a, a psychopath and those people have disregard for uh, others even others that they care about. Right. right. Okay, so do we answer that one? <laughs> I just want to encourage people to uh answer me on Twitter so uh, for with questions and stuff. What do you guys think about the, um, like, Casa has their custodial service or like their you know, multi-sig service? Didn't uh, they add that's Tor? Helpful. They added. Oh Tor yeah, the Casa too. node. Yeah, the Casa nodes can now run on Tor, which is really sweet. I haven't converted mine yet. That sounds um, legit. But yeah, they have a key service too, um, where you you get an app, and it's actually, it, you it's a um. It's a seedless storage system, so there is no 24-word seed that gets used. Um, if you lose access to one of the three or five keys, depending on which level of service you get, you uh, can rotate in a new key uh, oh. through a trustless system that they've set up. And so basically, you you like put your Bitcoins in a wallet, multi-sig wallet, uh, that has no seed. Like, the seed's destroyed. Um, it's a really interesting approach, and I and I wonder if it helps with the whole you know physical violence problem. Like you can't you can't get to the Bitcoin yourself; it's not possible. So if someone's going to try to hurt you, they've got to 
abduct you and have, you know, basically get you to contact Casa and execute some transaction. Uh, and then at that point, they can, you know, help um, in terms of, you know, ensuring, like, improving your physical security <laughs> with law enforcement or whatever. I don't know. Um, private security services. I don't know what the future is going to look like. And this is why I think um, citadels, like the idea of citadels has been passed around with for, you know, a way that society might be organized in a Bitcoin future uh, because Bitcoiners will, you know, uh, kind of move to areas where they can share the responsibility for their security. Uh, and and not have it be trusted to a state, so uh, it's kind of a it'll be like these little decentralized like enclaves or citadels, um, spread around and uh, all connected though by uh, in in the same economy, but um, sort of living in these webs of trust, uh, with these little nodes on a, on a web of trust around kind of geographically spread out. That's interesting. Um, I, yeah, I think the like Casa solutions of multi sig solutions. Obviously, that's that's the best thing. And um, like Mister Pays said, it's Pays, right? Not Pause. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> pays. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, said with the making sure people know that you can't really access your Bitcoin, um, but also the future should be more peaceful and more prosperous with the uh, Bitcoin future. So what if, what if there's a split in society between Bitcoiners and no coins and like basically a split in the economy? Like you, you see how, you know, the people that inherit Bitcoin from us will be in a different class. It's like, you know, a couple generations from now, you know, we secure our Bitcoin and we're able to pass it on to our children or whatever. They're going to be in a different class than the people that don't. You see what I'm saying? I see the future as almost everybody using Bitcoin. But I do think... There will be a class, you know, if you have, I don't know what the threshold will be, maybe a whole Bitcoin or 10 Bitcoin or something, you know, it'll be like back in the 19 or turn of the century when it's like, he was a millionaire and uh, <laughs> got a ton of money, you know, but I see most, everybody's going to be using Bitcoin. It's going to be an economic necessity. So. I don't think almost anybody's going to be excluded. Yeah, and you got to think like, yeah, your kids might be wealthy, but you know you can lose your entire generational wealth in one generation. So you have to actually to to remain wealthy, you have to produce as much value as you're consuming, and that goes for every class of people. So those the top class won't be able to have the the cantillion effect and be close to the money printing they are going to actually have to earn their 
their nobility or whatever you want to say that. So um, it's that's going to actually be a unique time in history. Um, I mean, you'll still have people that have a lot of land and property and stuff, but uh, money wise, strict money, intergenerational wealth that you can pass on like that, um, they could go broke pretty easily. All right, let me go a little uh, out there. Um, say the Earth was hit by not like some kind of like Earth ending asteroid, but, you know, maybe a couple asteroids that were very like saturated in gold. Imagine the gold price plummeting like overnight because these like gold asteroids like hit the Earth. I know I'm getting crazy. You know how I, you know, I like to throw out these like thought experiments. Well, we what don't even if... have to go there to asteroids hitting the Earth. I mean, there are already, there's already, I think, two or three competing companies who are, their business is to lasso asteroids for asteroid mining. To me... already, these, these companies already exist. They, they think that they're going to be able to do this within two decades. So, I mean, the old financial structure of like a gold based, like, you know, wealth is going to go away as soon as they're able to like mine gold off off the earth. You know, here's the thing is the moon itself used to be a part of the earth. You know, the earth is, can you know, there's a fair amount of gold on the earth. The reality is, is the moon came from the earth in like a collision way back when or whatever. The reality is, is the moon should have a fair amount of gold in it. Nobody ever talks about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so does the Earth's crust, you know. It's just how much resources do we want to dedicate towards pulling it out of either the Earth's crust or the moon. Anyway, I was just being a little, uh, <laughs> going a little off tangent there, so. We love, we love being getting cosmic. Um, this one is going to bring us back real fast. Uh, this was just another question from Twitter. And uh, it was about, what do you guys think about, there was some uproar today, apparently. I, I think I saw one tweet or two tweets. Um, people wanting to get Twitter to take the at Bitcoin account away from Roger and either retire it or give it to somebody else or something like that what do you guys what did you hear about that and and am i getting it wrong um and what are your thoughts i have mixed feelings on both this and the whole bsv delisting last week because even though i'm glad for both of these things to happen like the bitcoin account is totally misrepresenting Bitcoin, nobody can speak for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is decentralized. There's no voice of Bitcoin. Um, and Roger Ver is obviously a fraud and was selling Bcash as Bitcoin. I don't know. I'm glad that both of these things happen, that people that hope, well, if it happens, that we get them to retire the Bitcoin account. But at the same time, I don't, I don't know. We're, we're raising lynch mobs. Um. Yeah, I. I well, I'm internet, of two minds. Internet was retired at internet. So, if Bitcoin is the internet of 
money, why couldn't it be retired too? Well, and I mean, I kind of agree with you, but lynch mob is implies violence. Okay, and I'm sorry. So, Strong, you're right? Yeah, but so if people are just putting social pressure on um, institutions that uh, do are involved, you know, that the public's greatly involved in, I think is fine. Um, but I don't think, you know, I think Twitter can make whatever decision they want. And I would be perfectly fine with them allowing whoever's in control of it to, to remain in control. And then people just call out on the comment section. I mean, it's just going to be, uh, people are going to have to think it's, that's a bad precedence. Whereas if you get a little groundswell of, um, people to start shouting something down, it's, you know, a tool for censorship or for. Ever. What do you mean? Like uh, they could use it against us and say that Bitcoiners are toxic. Sure. I mean, it could be us. It could be. It could be a lot of things, really. Yeah, I I hate that Roger has at Bitcoin, but. To me, it's not that huge of a deal because. Um, It'll work itself. I think actually uh, Bcash might have a big rage quit. And I think Roger might just jump ship. Um, maybe not in the next few months or anything, but I, I would say over the next year or two. And so I don't I don't really think like we, we, we would set a bad precedent if it's just going to be short term anyway. You know. Is it confirmed who owns that account? No. Okay, so it's never been confirmed who actually at Bitcoin. Well, come on now. <laughs> yeah. I just want to throw one more thing out there. We're talking about a Twitter handle, and Bitcoin will probably be, what do you guys think? Will Bitcoin be around longer than Twitter? And, and how long do you think Twitter is going to remain <laughs> the main place that people um, talk about Bitcoin? Good point. Right. Hmm. All right. I think that's all our questions. Anybody have no, any actually, other topics? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about one more thing. Go. You guys, uh, I don't think you talked about this last one. I wasn't here. But um, I don't know. I see this as a major, major thing. You know, back in October, maybe it was like November. Anyway, like Q4 of last year, you know, Fidelity announced that they were launching their digital asset subsidiary. And, you know, that got a bunch of fanfare. A bunch of people were talking about it. And then earlier this year, they announced they were probably going to launch it, go live in Q1. And, you know, kind of went under the radar. And then in about a month ago now, I think it was about middle to late March, they actually announced that it was live. And it had already been live for several weeks. Um, so I just think this is something absolutely huge to happen. Um, and also just on the uh, on the launch, you know, this just shows that Fidelity, they understand Bitcoin. Abigail Johnson, 
she's a really great CEO. You know, they didn't go public and you do a big, huge press release and do something that might move the price, you know, against their clients. So, yeah, we have Fidelity, which is the, I believe, second largest uh, asset manager, wealth manager on the planet. And they now have a custody service. And I believe it's, uh, they do um, exchange services for their clients too. So this is like a massive on-ramp for the institutional mm -hmm. money. It's the huge. Big, big pools of money. This is the money that's going to get us into the six figures. You know, we can get to 20K with the retail money. But now we're going to literally have people with $100 million, $500 million being to enter the market over the course of a, you know, relatively short period of time. So to me, it was just a huge, huge domino to fall. Um, and also, what I was thinking about, it was like, this is going to totally open up even more doors to institutional money. Now you're going to have the other big, big custodial players like, you know, Bank of New York Mellon and State Street and Northern Trust. Now all these companies, they're going to have to get into the Bitcoin market too, just because, you know, competition. Right. To stay competitive with their, um, with their, with their competitors, and you know, the executives of these companies, you know, they don't have career risk to try and get into this now, since Fidelity's paved the way for them. So, yes, uh, and uh, don't forget Yale, the Yale endowment, they got in last year too, or they they were talking about it. So. Um, that was have, relatively small. They had bought a stake in a company that had a tiny uh, stake okay. in a Bitcoin. But no, this is huge. All of these uh, hedge funds, family offices, any type of institutional money with a high degree of autonomy can now come in, you know. And you said that went live or, or earlier this month? In March, yeah. It's huge. It was wow. very underreported for the magnitude of the uh, of the the news. You know, I was like kind of blown away. Like, why is nobody talking about this? Huge. Right. Well, that doesn't surprise me that the mainstream media won't report on something like that. It was I mean, yeah, not even dogs, the my dog's Bitcoin media. You know, it's weird about the media is they they really like to hop on negative. Bitcoin headlines, but when it comes to positive things, they uh, it goes down the memory hole, like the whole uh, Russia gate or whatever. Bitcoin Russians were using Bitcoin to fund the uh, disinformation campaign and all this stuff. I, I don't know if you've seen those headlines, but they'll jump on the negative ones. Yeah, I think that's huge news and. I, I was just bringing up that Yale thing because of just the significance that they're looking at it, you know, and um, so, yeah, there's some major, well-respected, uh, big institutions that are looking at this and getting involved. And I, I don't I just don't see how there's not going to be billions of dollars flowing in over the next 12 to 24 months. I don't I don't see that.
I agree. I think it's going to be a landslide. So stack your sats now. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank all the guys that joined on Discord. Special thanks to Jeff. If you'd like to support further content like this, go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support. That's it. See you next time. Peace.